Hello. Thanks for listening. My name is Katie, and this is my story. Specifically, my story involving all the domestic violence I experienced and was able to escape from. So in remembering everything that I felt and experienced, I began to feel every possible emotion. Terror, shame, sadness, anger, frustration, insanity, extreme blessing, and gratefulness as well. My childhood was beautiful, and with the most traumatic memory that I have of it was being a clogged, overflowing toilet. (laughs) So I was just so well taken care of and loved, and I was raised with everything I needed, clothes and music and friends and a pony. Like, I had a great life, and I loved it. And I experienced a lot of highs and lows just emotionally, naturally in my youth and in my teen years. And I decided like now in my life that that's just my personality. And I really have found that humans, in my experience, are not really meant to feel emotions. Because of that, I just don't like labels. So I'm not going to be like, I'm bipolar or I'm this, that, and the other because I find I'm just natural. I'm just myself and that's okay. So after high school, I'd gotten into my dream art school for graphic design degree, but instead I bought a one-way Greyhound bus ticket to Colorado Springs and spent a year bouncing between states and careers. I didn't find the joy that I knew in Michigan out west, and I was met with loneliness. I was meeting people, but no one was looking to commit to any sort of a relationship or serious thing that I was really wanting. And I just couldn't fathom working on myself as a single young person. I was just thirsty. I I really wanted to be with somebody and I needed the presence of others to be happy. And in my lonely mountain staring state, I decided to take a grooming position way down in Florida and I sold everything I had, spontaneously jumped states. And again, absolutely hated the situation and there just was so much failure in such a short amount of time. Like, I had lost it all. My savings, my plans, my pony, my vehicle, my friendships. The only thing I had was my family, and they were all in Michigan. So back into my parents' basement, I returned. And at 19, that was when my big spiral hit. And it was my last grasp to save myself. I went to a community college and again, failed. So it was just the inability to figure anything out and be successful plus being in a space that had completely moved on without me while I was off traveling and gallivanting around. Like, it was insanely hard. And my friend group was gone. I replaced them with a friend that could buy me alcohol. And (laughs) it was just a mess. And I ended up hopping Craigslist rooms. And one day, I just snapped. And I hated everything. And I took my $300 that I had and my wiener dog and packed my little suburban car and just took off back to Colorado. And I had lined up a couple rooms to check out when I got there from Craigslist. And the first one fell through when he saw the massive dramatic scars on my left arm from me deciding, while completely drunk, that life is not worth living. And the second room back, I ended up back in Colorado Springs. When I drove up, I was met by a man who was just wearing the brightest rainbow handmade tie-dye shirt. And he had a matching wiener dog that matched mine right beside him. And we just clicked. Like, he had a huge smile. He welcomed me into his home. He had, you know, a blunt and a hot meal for me. And he rented me out his own bedroom. And all I had was, like, 
150, 200 bucks and he took it and let me live with him. And in the first two weeks of knowing each other, he took me to a fish show in Denver and it was the first time I had ever been in that experience. It was the first time I saw all of that. And it was just amazing. My brain clicked. I loved it. I felt at home. I was finding the joy I wanted. Those are the strangers I was looking for. Like, these are my people. The Grateful Dead family is tighter than any other congregation. And I grew up in a really tight-knit church. Like, it was very, 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 it was community. It was tight. So it was wonderful seeing the colors through the music and just feeling in love with the whole scene of festivals and music. And I would just carry around the ganja treats and follow him at this first festival he brought me to like a puppy. And I was just giggling and giggling every time he walked by somebody who would mention the drugs he had that he was trying to sell them. And it just, it it was unexpected. And I was just was laughing and I didn't know what to do. And it was just insane. So I didn't care that he was selling drugs. Like they weren't the drugs that killed you like meth and heroin. Like they were the drugs that just, you know, party drugs that weren't supposed to be super bad for you that are still illegal and very, very, very much so not something to mess around with. Got to be really careful. So that was the first time I ever saw him really scream at somebody. His friend was an hour late to get back to the car. And it was intense and it was terrifying. And I couldn't believe that it just, it was like nothing had happened. But he had just laid into this guy like unbelievably for absolutely really no reason. Like it was just uncalled for. And he was stubborn, controlling. This man I had met, he was just so in charge and flailing all at the same time. So after we got home from the fish show, he sheepishly handed me a love letter about how he would make sure that I was taken care of. And if I gave him a chance, he would be there for me. And he was twice my age. His daughter lived in the home with us with her daughter. And it was just the situation that I felt like he loved me. And I loved that he was serious about it. He needed me. He could use me. He wouldn't let anybody go that had a work ethic like mine. He just was really about finding people that would help him in whatever scheme he was working. So in our entire relationship, he would constantly recruit people to do his bidding, helping him with little jobs, drug deals. It was just the hustler mentality. And I allowed him to use me. And it was sickening once I realized I was just another pawn in his game. And he's a narcissist. And he wasn't capable of the love that his words wallpapered. The next morning, after we got back from the fish show, and I decided to be with him, I woke up, and he had, of course, like moved back into the bedroom with me, and my car was gone. And he had let somebody take it to a drug deal. They were not responding. The car wasn't brought back. And I was with him for less than 24 hours, and he got my car stolen. Wouldn't take responsibility. Wouldn't let me call the police. Took me three months of sitting around waiting for him to give me my car back. And I finally reported it stolen. And I said it was taken while I was asleep by a friend's friend who I don't know because that's what happened. Like, I don't know who took my car. I was sleeping. The police found it being driven on the highway near me in Colorado within 48 hours. Like, they immediately found it, which was amazing. So basically, there was no escaping. I had lost my car. I had finally gotten it back. And I got a job some point in that first year, shortly after getting the job, I wanted to escape so bad. He was in complete control of my phone, so I went to the Metro PCS store right down the street from our house, begged them to help me get a cheap phone so I could get away from him. And the ladies that sold me the phone, or well, okay, later in the day, 
he dragged me back down to the store when he figured out what I was doing, forced me to return the phone. No police were called. Nobody asked me if I was okay. I just was completely failed. I felt lost and nobody would help me. It it was sickening. The ladies at the phone store, they didn't care. It was it was impossible. I was beaten. I could not win. I was not able to in any circumstance figure out a way out. I didn't have it in me. I didn't care enough about myself to even try to leave at that point. And so we ended up living in our Jeep in the forest behind Pikes Peak. He wanted to grow his hair out with me, so he forced me to cut my dreadlocks off. Begged him to leave me alone. Begged him to let me keep him because I wanted to keep him. I loved him, and he was just relentless. So we'd been together a little over a year. We had tried really hard to buy a farm. Couldn't get along with the people in the community we were buying the farm with because he was raging anger issues, and he ended up being incarcerated for a warrant that I didn't even know he had. I left the living situation we were in because he got put in jail, and the friends we were living with couldn't help him get out of jail, so he demanded that I not be around those friends anymore. And they were our only friends, and I took my two dogs, and I just stayed in my Jeep outside where I was working and paid all of his fines off so that he could get out of jail. And that was the one chance I had to drive back to Michigan, and I could have taken my baby and ran. Like, I was I was freshly pregnant then. Like, I, I knew I was pregnant, but I could have just taken off, and I was so scared that he would chase me, and I loved him so much, and I couldn't just leave him in jail like that. And I remember always just feeling so upset that I didn't take that moment to escape because I was terrified. And I knew if I had gone back to Michigan, I would have to stay with my parents and rebuild everything, and it would just be humiliating, and it was not something I ever wanted to have to do. Even though friends would constantly advise me to escape for Sam's sake, if not for my sake, and it was sickening to hear it constantly. And this man was struggling so hard with his wellness, and he didn't want to change or improve, and... Uh, Before Sam was born, my friend took me to a bank to get a debit card to begin a savings that was totally hidden so that I could squirrel away money. And eventually he found that and took all the money and there was just no way out. So six years later, we were kind of chased out of Colorado because he had messed over a lot of people. And I drove him to Oregon and he was having kidney stone passing and he was just freaking out the whole time. And we'd stop at a bunch of ERs and We had put all our money into a house right when we got to Oregon that we had all lined up, and then he couldn't get along with the roommates, so we had to move out immediately. And we lived in the Jeep for some more, and then we ended up having to get a minivan and lived in our minivan. And the whole town of Eugene is like the only city in the world that you can successfully live in a minivan and really, really, really work it. And it's it's so hard, and it's brutal, and I would never recommend it, but... We were able to do it, and it was intense. Like, it was just really scary. And I ended up stopping my cutting that I had done when I met Drew because I didn't need to cut anymore. I didn't need to hurt myself. His words hurt worse than any knife, and he was my self-harm. And it took seeing my son mirror his psychopath behavior to wake up and realize that there is no way that I'm going to be able to save myself or my child if I don't get out of here. Like, he is lost in his anger, and he was sucking us down with him, and it was just impossible, impossible to get by. I would be driving home, and I'd have a really long drive, 45-minute drive home through the mountains, and I would just allow myself to just weep and be just so distraught about it because I just knew that I'd be getting home, and 
he would be yelling at me and angry that I would get home so late from my job and mad if I brought him food. He'd throw the food at me if I brought him food. And if I didn't bring him food, he would freak out that I didn't bring him food. And he just was an impossible person to please. And it was just my only wish in life was to please him. So I would just hide in the living room and it it was just a nightmare. And he made sure that it was a perfect prison because the house we had finally gotten to rent in Oregon was amazing. And it was on a river and it had everything we needed. And he wasn't happy. There was no making him happy. He was just truly messed up in the brain. And once you realize that the person you love is so messed up in the brain that no amount of forgiving and loving is going to change it, there's nothing you can do. It's the saddest thing to realize, but it's incredibly important to acknowledge the fact that people are not capable of healing if they do not want to be healed. And when we finally left, the morning we left, it was a Tuesday. And I had woken up just numb. My face was puffy. I'd cried for hours. He had screamed at a friend on our way home from a festival, lost another friendship. It was just a graveyard of friendships that we had lost. And I had woken up and he had left, taken my car. He would go and do things in the morning, like a whole routine. And me and our son were not a part of his routine. And I saw the neighbor pulling away and I ran. I didn't think. I just had my bare feet against the gravel under me and I was talking to him and just asking him for a ride. And then I was swooping Sam up from the lazy boy and grabbing our things. And I was in such a panic because I knew that at any moment he could come back and would stop us from leaving. And at any moment, you know, it just wouldn't happen. And I couldn't believe it was actually happening because I'd manifested it and wanted it and tried. And it was just impossible. There was no way I could even plan an escape. It was, I had no money. I had no plan at all. And it was just for the moment I saw my window and I jumped and I sat in the back seat beside Sam as we got to the airport and I held his little hand and I promised him that I would fight for him and I promised him it would be great and we would have so much to live for and he didn't know what was going on, of course. I didn't tell him, but we made it onto the plane and it was so scary waiting because I didn't know if he'd be able to run into the airport and drag us out of there while we were waiting because we had like a five-hour wait for our flight that day and I had to leave my dog behind because I didn't know if I could bring him on the plane or not. And I didn't know how much it would cost. And I left everything and I gave up everything and I started over. And next week, after a year and a half, I'm actually going to be closing on my own house. And it has a tree house and I'm going to be able to get another dog. And I have an awesome job and my family just supports me all the way. And things are really looking up. So... Thanks for listening to my story. If I could tell myself anything in the beginning, like right when I graduated high school, I would say, Katie, buy a Toyota Sienna. Save your money. Learn to cook and then save your money some more. Stay single. Enjoy your dog. And just don't forget that you alone have the power to create a safe and happy environment for yourself. Nobody else will give that to you. You are responsible for your own happiness. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys have a blessed existence and I love you. Bye-bye.